Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you are listening from. This is the voice of A.B. Melchizedek, your servant, serving you all the way from the UK today. Before we kickstart today's topic, a bit of a caveat. If this is your first time listening in, in as much as I welcome you, I appreciate your time and your presence. I advise you hit the pause button and start from the beginning. Even if not the first episode, the second one, even if not the first episode, the second one at least. Because we will be making, we often make copious references to things we have discussed in the past. So it won't be in the best interest of anybody to start from this episode because we are building the topic. You know, the Bible says the word of God was unto them precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. So we are building it precept upon precept, line upon line. So... Um, it would not be advisable. You will not be maximizing. Um, it won't be the best use of your time to just listen to this episode without knowing where we are coming from. Uh, well, uh, for those of you who have been listening consistently, um, I apologize that toss fight has not been entertaining. <laughs> But don't worry, we we would get there at some point. You know, like we said in the trailer, the basis of everything we do here is the gospel. So um, it's not the most uh, pleasurable listening, but I hope you've been learning a lot uh, the way I have been learning, you know, listening in and all of that. And don't worry, we would get to the fun stuff, but let's, let's get this matter of the gospel right first. Um, and then going forward, we can bring in some other fun stuff as regards practicality of scripture, commenting on things going on, you know, but it says no other foundation can be laid than that which is laid Jesus, the Christ. I believe that's, um, first Corinthians, the third chapter and the 11th verse. So is that foundation we are laying? And the least glamorous aspect of building a house is laying the foundation. But we all know what happens to a house without foundations. Jesus said, whoever hears my sayings and does them, I will liken him to a man who built his house on a rock. The floods came, the wind blew and beat against the house. And it stood for it was built upon a rock. So we are building ourselves on the rock of the gospel, as it says in First Peter 2, 6, I lay in Zion the chief cornerstone and elect precious, and whosoever believes in him will not be ashamed. So we are laying that foundation, the foundation of Jesus Christ, the foundation of the gospel. Um, so, yes, that is where we are at for the time being. Um, there will be many more discussions to come. Uh, many, many, many more discussions, hopefully, by the grace of God, God helping, keeping me alive. And uh, after that, we can start having fun, gospel star, like we said in the trailer. So, our topic for today, the gospel and death. So the first thing we have to notice is or understand is the biblical definition of death is different from our human understanding of death. Genesis, the second chapter and the 17th verse. Now Genesis is the book of beginnings, the events that necessitated the gospel, the beginning of sin, the beginning of death and the beginning of the prophecy of the gospel that climaxes in all its glory in the book of Revelation. 
Genesis the second chapter and the 17 verse this is God talking to Adam but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die in the day you eat of it but when you get to genesis 3 verse 17 you hear god pronouncing judgment or oh, let me rephrase that not necessarily providing judgment just informing adam of the consequences of his disobedience the consequence of his action it says then to adam he said because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which i commanded you saying you shall not eat of it cost is the ground for your sake and toil shall eat of it all the days of your life so we see that adam had eaten of that tree adam had rebelled god said in the day you eat of it you die but adam was still very much alive and listening to god at this juncture so there are one of two alternatives alternative conclusions that can be drawn from this stream of events so it's either god lied or adam died either god uh, lied or adam died in that day but then the answer in resolve or to resolve that conundrum we need to understand something about genesis 2 17 you know the old testament was written in hebrew so to understand some expressions or the implications of certain things that are said um, without understanding what he the hebrew is saying the effect or the implication of certain grammatical constructs due to the reinterpretation from the hebrew language would be lost on us so when god was telling adam you shall surely die the word there in the original hebrew the literal hebrew says you shall die die or dine you shall die so it says you shall die die or dying you shall die now if we go to genesis 5 we are going to See how Adam ended. Genesis, the fifth chapter and the fifth verse. It says, So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. So 930 years after, adam died so you see the moment he ate of the tree he started dying until he died 930 years after dying you shall die so the process of death began immediately he rebelled and we see that again by the time you get to romans 5 verse 12 it says by one man death a sin came into the world and death by sin death by sin so immediately sin came into the world death came into the world even if it took 930 years to manifest in adam so physical death is nothing but confirmation of spiritual death 
So Adam died long time ago. He didn't die 930 years after. He died the moment he ate of that tree. So the way the Bible defines death is a separation from God. So a man separated from his maker is a dead man. And we see that Jesus shared this viewpoint. As a matter of fact, the first mention of death by Jesus Christ in the New Testament was in the Gospel of Matthew. I believe it's the eighth chapter. And the 22nd verse. If you start from verse 21, it says, Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Verse 22, But Jesus said to him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. So how can dead people be burying the dead? So these people were alive, but Jesus said, no, those are dead people burying one of their own. And if you look at Luke, the ninth chapter, it's the same account, but then Luke adds something very interesting. Luke, the ninth chapter. And the sixtieth verse, he said, Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. So we see Jesus is making a distinction. He said, let the dead bury their dead. You go and do something. So the kingdom of God that this man ought to preach was a contradistinction to the dead burying their own dead. So this is why, for instance, Paul in Ephesians 2.1 will say we were dead in trespasses and sin. You see that again in Colossians 2.13. And then Jesus said something again in John 5. He said a lot in John 5 actually, but there's a particular one I'm looking for. Look at it. It says, most assuredly, I say to you, 5.25, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. So the question is, do the dead hear? And this is not... He's not referring to people who are dead, literally. Because if you go to verse 28 of the same John 5, he says, do not marvel, Jesus again says, do not marvel at this. For the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and comfort. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So he breaks it down. He says, those in the grave will come forth and those that are dead will hear. So we see death from the perspective of God, from the perspective of Jesus. is not a man physically dying. It's a man in sin. 
but God has always been pro-life. And I say that every pun intended, by the way. <laughs> so even the first tree we hear about in the book of Genesis is not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What's the tree, we, the first tree we hear about? Genesis 2. And we can go to verse um, 9. It says, And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. What's the first tree? The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So the first tree that makes an appearance in the book of Genesis is the tree of life. So God is a God of life. That's why Jesus will tell you, Matthew 22:32, that God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. This is why God will say to the Israelites, this day I have said before you, blessing and a cursing, life and death, but choose life that you may live. How pro-life was Jesus? He was so pro-life that it was impossible to have a funeral with him invited. If you wanted to have a successful funeral, you kept Jesus very far away. The man was raising dead people all over the place. He could not stand a man dying. In his presence, nobody died. In fact, by the time you get to Acts, the third chapter, we see Peter bestowing a title on him. Acts, the third chapter. And... Um, Pardon me, my Bible gets uh, a bit stuck together sometimes. <sighs> Come on. Uh, there we go. Acts, the third chapter. And the 15th verse, or start from the 14th verse. He was talking to the Jews. He says, but you denied the Holy One and the just asking for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the prince of life the prince of life another portion of the bible jesus said i am the resurrection i believe that's john the 11th chapter the 25th verse and the life the man was so full of life that when he was going to raise up Lazarus, he had to specify. <laughs> he said, Lazarus, come forth. Because if he said comfort, there will be pandemonium. All the graves, people will just start jumping from them. So he had to specify. He said, Lazarus, Lazarus alone, come forth. <laughs> so Jesus is full of life. It says, the words I speak unto you are spirit and they are life. John 6, 63. Said the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I've come that they may have life. The thief cometh, rather, to kill, steal, and destroy, but I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. So, Jesus came as life. So the whole point of Jesus coming, in his own words, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So the whole purpose of his coming was to give life. And that's why he said in John 6, when he was talking about the bread, you know, they were telling him, 
Moses gave our father bread, our father's bread from heaven. He said, look, your fathers ate of this bread and they are dead. Moses didn't give you the bread. My father gave you the bread. John 6, 49 and 51. 49 says, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. Well, there, yeah, let's take 50 also. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. You see, I wanted to skip that because we are coming to what that statement means when Jesus says you would not die. Then verse 51, it says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. <laughs> And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. So, Jesus came with a promise that if you listen to him, you won't die. You know, what is an eternal life or everlasting life? People believe that eternal life happens after you die. No, my friend, eternal life begins right now. The moment you say yes to Jesus, you have everlasting life. Why? You are dead on the cross with him. You are raised from the dead with him. You have no business dying anymore. So eternal life begins here. As a matter of fact, as we will see shortly, is the fact that you have eternal life now that guarantees that when you die, you are going to a better place. Which is to the presence of the Lord. Now, in case you don't believe me, I would show you some things. Uh, John, the fifth chapter. And it's 24th verse. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Death. To life. 1 John 3 13 to 14. 1 John 3 13 to 14. It says, Do not marvel, my brethren, if the word hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life. So when do you pass from death to life? When you die? No. When you believe in Jesus. That's why Jesus said, He that hears my sayings will not see death. So why won't they see death? And to understand why this is so, we have to refer to the words of Peter. First Peter, the fourth chapter, the fifth to sixth verses. Now, in context, Peter is talking about he had made allusions to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That Jesus suffered once for sin, and then he was raised from the dead. Is in the same way we should have that mentality that Jesus had? That in the same way we are dead to sin. And then we are alive to God that we have spent enough of our lives chasing after, you know, the things that the world chases after and living in the lust of the Gentiles and all of that. So he's saying this is why the Gentiles are surprised that believers are not living the same kind of lives they are living. And then they speak evil of believers because they live different lives to them. 
So from verse 5, he's saying they will give an account to him who is, who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Verse 6, it says, For this reason the gospel was preached also to those who are dead. Interesting. So the gospel is for dead men. Why is the gospel for dead men? And you know, at first, this seems to be contradictory, especially when uh, Hebrews, I believe it's the ninth chapter, and I believe it's the 27th verse, as it is appointed unto man to die once, after which the judgment. Then why is he saying the gospel is for those that are dead? The gospel is for those that are dead in that they are separated from God and need to be reconciled to Him. That is the sense in which they are dead. So how is this done? This can only be done through the gospel. This reconciliation. This passing from death to life. So the dying world needs to hear the gospel in order to be made alive to God. Now Peter further breaks this down. I'll start again from verse 6 so the whole sentence flows. It says, For this reason the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. Now, we've touched on this several on previous episodes, but what he's saying there is straightforward. He's just saying that the whole purport of the gospel is such that whoever hears it dies with Jesus Christ on the cross and is resurrected with him from the dead. So, in dying on the cross, you are judged on the cross the way Jesus was judged on the cross. And then you are made alive unto God. How? You are resurrected from the dead with Jesus Christ. And then God can now start dealing with you as a person who is alive to him. So this was a privilege. The Old Testament saints, those we call the Old Testament saints, did not have. Abraham was a dead man. David was a dead man, even if he had a gospel mentality. Samuel, Elijah, these great men of God, they were all dead men. They did not have Jesus in them. And their entire lives was leading up to this point that we are in. So when people sing, these are the days of Elijah, that's not very smart. These are the days of Christ, my friend. Because even Elijah wishes he was in these days. But again, I'm going off topic. So what is the logic behind what Peter is saying? Now, to understand this again, you are going to have to really go to previous episodes, but we are just going to do a brief recap of all we've been saying. So, we said Jesus defeated death by dying. Hebrews 2.14 says the same thing. It says, uh, if we started from, I think, verse 9, it says, But we see Jesus who was made lower than the angels for the suffering of death, uh, crown of glory and honor for the suffering of death, you know, and then... Um, it says, for as much as the children are particles of flesh and blood, he also partook of the same. For, it says, so that he, through death, might defeat him that had the power of death. That is the devil. So Jesus' death defeated death. He defeated death by dying. So what are we saying? Or rather, what did we say? So we said that 
Jesus defeated sin by dying without sinning. So because he didn't sin, all sin could legally be put on him by God. He was he had infinite capacity to bear the infinite variations of sin because there was no sin in him because if a sinner were to bear sin or were to be judged god's justice would mandate that the sinner be judged according to his own sin according to the extent of his own sin but for the first time a man came on the sin who did not have any sin and by virtue of the fact he didn't have any sin there was no limit to the sin that could be heaped on him so he was the perfect substitutionary sacrifice if you would so on the cross when he died sin died with him but then death is only allowed a legal claim over sinners but because somehow through the devil's own miscalculation and you have to go to previous episodes to understand that we've discussed that but because of the devil's own miscalculation we now had something that offends the law of nature for the first time we had a sinless man who death had custody of and by virtue of the fact death had no claim over him he had to be raised from the dead so that now opened up a portal whereby those who believe god could now deal with men based on the work of jesus christ so in the eyes of god everything that happened to jesus christ happened to those that believe in him so that's why paul will say galatians 2 20 i'm crucified with christ nevertheless i live Galatians 6, I believe is, um, is it 17 or 18? Say, let no man trouble me for I bear the marks of Christ. Another part, he said, I know, uh, I know nothing but the cross of Christ through which I'm crucified to the world and the world is crucified to me. So the gospel is a gospel that defeats death with death. What am I saying? So because of the death of Jesus Christ, death becomes central to the believer's experience. So, for instance, the believer is dead to sin. Romans 6 2. Romans, the sixth chapter and the second verse. Man, I hope you are enjoying this as much as I am. Because no man can live truly if he still fears death. You know, Hebrews says that he freed those who were subject to bondage all their lifetime because of the fear of death. The fear of death puts a person in bondage. You are free to live only to the extent you are unafraid to die. And Jesus has paid that price to set you free from the fear of death. And death itself. Romans 6, the second chapter. It's certainly, you know, verse 1 starts with that chapter we love a lot. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And subsequently, God keeping me alive, we would discuss that also extensively. But he says, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer therein? Died to sin. So you see, where death becomes important in defeating death. The wages of sin is death. Okay, you are dead to sin. What wages do you have to pay? And this is why Peter, 1 Peter 2.24, he also said something very instrumental. 
talking of Jesus. He says, who when he was reviled, from verse 23, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sin, might live for righteousness. You see, so we are dead to sin. Now, not only that, Paul says we are dead to the law. And again, we touched briefly on that in previous episodes, and we are also going to explore this in detail when we do a, another season on the law, because that's the that's the plan. After this season on the gospel, we are going to have another season on the law. But since we are dead to the law, Romans 7 verse 4. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ. So dead to sin, dead to the law. Colossians 2.20 Paul says, Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, so you see we are dead again as believers to the principles of the world, And why is it important for us to be dead to this world? Because as long as you are of this world, sin and death has dominion over you, and the devil has dominion over you. That's why Romans 6.14, Paul said, And sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law. And if you read the epistles properly, you would see, and the context of this verse itself was in the context of the law, that the law is part of the elements of this world. Galatians 4, verse 1 to 2 said the same thing. But again, we are, we are getting ahead of ourselves. We are getting off topic. We are getting to the law. We reserve that for the season on the law. But it says we are dead to the elements of this world. Colossians 3.3, and this is the key point. I mean, if you take nothing away from this episode, please take this away because this is the key point in everything. So please, if you have been sleeping, wake up, drink coffee, overdose on caffeine. <laughs> Just kidding. You get to see the Lord faster if you overdose on caffeine. But again, he'll ask you what you are doing there so quickly and why you didn't preach the gospel to people before you got there. The people he told you to preach the gospel to before you got there. Anyway. Um, Colossians 3 verse 3. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You died. You died. So you see, in all these things, death becomes a way to be free. You are dead to sin. You are dead to the law. You are dead to the world. Colossians 3.3 says you died. Now what do all these things have in common? Sin, the law, the world. What they have in common is that ultimately they bring about death. The wages of sin is what? Death. Romans 6.23 John said the world hates you. Don't marvel because you've passed from death to life. So what's that telling you? That the world 
is dead. And if you heard the last episode, we hammered on this and we said the world is heading to destruction. Not so. The law. <sighs> okay, let me just let me just give a tip of the iceberg because I don't want to say something so controversial and just leave you hanging. But you are going to see the issue with the law shortly. And I think we, we, we touched on it previously. That the law was a fantastic thing, but the problem is it was too perfect. And if you could not keep it, it brought about death. Romans 7. And um, we start from... Ah, man, I'm just giving this anyway. But it's fine. Okay, uh, we start from verse 7. Romans 7, 7. Say, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law said you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, that is the law, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, that's without the law, sin was dead. So it is the law that gave life to your sinful motions, to your sinful tendencies. And that was the point, because the point was to show you how sinful you were and how in need of a savior you were. So by then you get to verse 12, it says, uh, verse 11, it says, For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. Therefore the law is holy and the commandment holy, just and good. But has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good. So all these things together, the end point of all these things is death. And then by virtue of the death on the cross, by virtue of your death with Jesus, when you believe in the gospel, you've died to all these things. So is it safe on this basis to conclude that you are dead to death? Do you see that? So the believer is dead to death. If you go to Colossians 3.14, it says, When Christ, who is our life? So the life we the believer has is the life of Jesus Christ. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but the life I live in the flesh. I live by the faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. He said, I'm dead, nevertheless I live, yet not I. The life I live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God. So Jesus Christ literally becomes the life of the believer. And the life of Jesus is not subject to death. Hi. So... That's why Paul will say, Christ being raised from the dead dies no more. For death has no more dominion over... Oh my God. Let's look for this. Romans. This is good stuff. Romans. The sixth chapter. And the ninth verse, we start from it. It says, now if we died, let's start from seven. Say, who, he who has died has been freed from sin. So we see I was not making things up. That's scripture. Verse 15 says, um, sorry, let's say 15. Verse 8, that was verse 7. He who has died has been freed from sin. Verse 8 says, if we died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. Verse 9, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. 
For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. That is your life. You are dead to sin. Death no more has dominion over you. So, the believer's life is eternal because the sin that brings death has been removed from it. This is the life of Christ we are talking about now. Not the life of the believer. This is the life of Christ we are talking about. And the life of Christ is a sinless life. It's the very life of God. It's an eternal life. And that is the life he gives to the believer. That's why he said, because I live, you will live also. That's the promise. That's why I said, he that keeps my sins will not see death. He that believes the gospel. Why? Because you've been judged according to men in the flesh, like Peter said, but you are alive to God. Mm -hmm. So, note that Jesus and his work on the cross saved us perfectly from the power of sin on this side of eternity. But although that happened, there is still the presence of sin. I take that again. Jesus saved us from the power of sin. But as long as we remain on this side of eternity, we remain in this flesh. There is still the presence of sin. This is why Paul said we have no confidence in the flesh. Since we have the circumcision, I believe that's Philippians 3, who rejoice in Christ Jesus. And have no confidence in the flesh. Philippians 3.3 We are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. You know Jesus said what is flesh is flesh. What is spirit is spirit. Says God is spirit. And he that comes to him must come in them that worship him must worship him in truth and in spirit. And he said, what is flesh is flesh. What is spirit is spirit. So Paul's emphasis was always in the spirit. Romans 7, we see what Paul is saying. Romans 7, I'll start from verse 24 to 25, I mean, if you started from, I think verse 17 or 18, you see, it's that famous verse of the good I want to do, I don't do it, the evil I don't want to do, that I do, you know, he said, if you if you take it from verse 23, it said, But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members, that is in my bodily parts. He says, O wretched man that I am, who, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. That's his dilemma. But if you go to verse 18, which is where I wanted to go in the first place, pardon me, but again, what I read still makes the same points. It says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. So there is nothing good about this flesh we have. That is why 
as a believer, if you go by this flesh, you will be defeated every single time. God is spirit. The Bible is spirit. See, the words I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The gospel is a spiritual reality. It's more real than the device you are listening to this on. Man is a spirit predominantly. The reason he's more attuned to his flesh is because he's dead. From the beginning it was not so. Says he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. First Corinthians six seventeen. So there is still very much the presence of sin. Why? Because we are in the flesh and we are in this side of eternity. Oh, he's just making things up. Oh, he's just making excuses first. John 2, 1 to 2. What does he say? Say, my little children, these things I write to you that you sin not. Immediately he says, but if any man sin. We have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous, the protection for our sins, but not ours only, but for the sins of the world. If any man sin. He says, I'm writing to you so you don't sin. But if any man sin. So why is there that possibility? Because you are in the flesh. Because what you are saved from is the power of sin. Not the presence of sin. Paul sinned. Acts 23. I'll show you very quickly. And again, these are things we would touch on later, but... Again, I'm not calumnizing Paul. I'm not defaming him. I love Paul. Without him, the gospel would not have been re revealed to the dimension it was revealed in his writings. But I'm certain he will agree with me because he never placed any confidence in his flesh. And he said, follow me as I follow Christ. He said there was nothing good in his flesh, which is true. Oh, come on. This sticky Bible is not helping my cause. All right, here we go. This is your Paul. Acts 23, 1 to 5. I read very quickly. Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Annas commanded, Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then look at what Paul said. He said, then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. <laughs> For you seek to judge me according to the law, and do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? And those who stood by said, do you revile God's high priest? Then Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. So you see, when they slapped Jesus, Jesus calmly responded, say, if I speak evil, testify of the evil. But if good, why do you slap me? When they slap Paul, you see his reaction. That was unchristlike. That was his flesh. That was not righteous. Peter sinned post-resurrection. Galatians 2, verse 11 to 12. And this is Paul giving an account you know of his credentials to the galatian church to the church in galatia uh, what does he say in from verse 11 to 13. he says now when peter had come to antioch i withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed for before certain men came from james he would eat with the gentiles but when they came he withdrew and separated himself fearing those who were of the circumcision and the rest of the jews also played the hypocrite with him so that even barnabas was carried about with their hypocrisy but when i saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel i said to peter before them all if you being a jew live in the manner of gentiles why not and not as the jews why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? So we see that fear that was in Peter 
that made him deny Jesus was still a, was still somewhere in him even after the resurrection because he was mixing with the Gentiles, mingling with them. But when the Jews came, he started pretending as if he has not been mixing with them. That was sinful. So, just as Jesus saved from the power of sin, not the presence of sin necessarily, because you are in your flesh, you will sin. Because you are in a sinful world on this side of eternity, sinning is something, it's just part of our fallen nature. We are all mortal, we are all frail. In the same way, Jesus delivered from the power of death, not the presence of death. So, will the believer die? Yes, the believer will die physically. But death does not have power over him, just as it did not have power over Jesus, whom he believed in. So, to be resurrected, Jesus had to die physically. So, for the believer to be resurrected, is inevitable that he has to die also. But right now, Spiritually, it's a finished transaction. The believer is alive already to God. That is why death has no claim on him. Jesus said, if you believe not that I am here, you will die in your sins. And what happens when you die in your sins? Death has a claim over you. So you remain dead. You perish. You are sent to hell. Why? You died in your sins. Not you are sent to hell because, I mean, you go to hell because God does not send anyone to hell. We choose to go there by disregarding what he has done in the gospel. But we will get to that in a previous, in a subsequent message or session. So Jesus... He gave his life to the believer. So because we have eternal life now, death has no hold on us. So what is the attitude of the believer to death? Jesus called it sleep. We are running out of time now, so I'll have to go fast. But Jesus called it sleep. He said, the girl is not dead. Give place, she is asleep. He said, our friend Lazarus sleeps. Paul said, this I'm writing to you concerning those that sleep. So death for the believer is sleep. Why is it sleep? Death, where is your sting? There is no sting of death anymore. So death for the believer is just a translation into the presence of God or into, into the presence of Jesus to be at the Lord's side. That is what death is. The world can be mourning and crying that, oh, he's dead, he's dead. No believer dies. Say, he that hears my sayings will not die. So the believer doesn't die. He's translated. So I conclude with this. At the beginning, we said that when Adam sinned, God told him, or God said, God told Adam, if you eat from this tree, dine, you will die. In the day you eat from it, dine, you will die. Now let's reverse it. From the moment a person believes in Jesus, he begins to die to death. So the process of dying to death begins when he accepts the Lord Jesus and is completed when he dies. So believers, you are in a process of dying to death. And if that is the case, you cannot die. Revelation 1.18, Jesus said, I am he that was dead, but I am alive forevermore. He said, look, I'm alive forevermore, and I hold the keys to death 
and hell. Let's look at that scripture. Um, oof, we are out of time already. Um, Revelation 1 verse 18. This is Jesus talking. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. So Jesus conquered death. Jesus was victorious over death. He has destroyed the power of death. He has destroyed him that had the power of death. And he now holds the keys to death. And if that is so, my friend, you cannot die. I apologize for running over time. Thank you for listening. Remember, life is short. And in the context of it, nothing matters except what you do for the gospel. Take care. Bye.